Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? It's your guys, Zane Nakvi and Al Sacco for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. And we are in conference championship week. And I think, Al, this is probably going to be one of the last playoffs, I'm hoping at least, that you're not going to see the 49ers going forward. Am I right? Yeah, you know, it really looks that way, and and you have to hope so. You have to think that what we saw at the end of the season is good things to come and and that the Niners are going to be in in the playoffs. But, you know, when your team isn't in the playoffs – I think when you're not talking draft or free agency or, or coaching changes or things like that, you kind of don't want to hear much from your team because usually if you're hearing about players in the off season, it's usually not good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yep. kind of hoped for sort of a quiet off season for the 49ers. It didn't really start out that way though, did it? No, it didn't. Uh, there were a couple of things. I mean, it started off with the hiring of Ken Norton, which I thought that, and he was supposed to come on as a, assistant head coach and a linebackers coach. I thought it was a pretty good hire and, and bring an old 49er back and he was going to coach up Ruben Foster. And then both of those things kind of got messed up. And I know you have a lot to say about the Ruben Foster thing. So I'm just going to let you go, man, go for it. Yes. Before I get into that, because if I get going Zane, it, it, it's going to be a little while. Cause I have, I'll tell you what, I have strong opinions on both sides of it. Strong opinions about the NFL stance on marijuana. And I have a strong opinion that, you know, about, foster situation so we'll get into that and, and we'll also get into some fan questions which i can't wait for we got a bunch of questions on twitter and we're really looking forward to zane and i to answer those and get that interaction going with the fans but before we do that we're going to bring in our guest can be our zone brian murphy our guest today has been a prominent voice on bay area airwaves for more than a decade straight with his co-host paul mccaffrey and can be heard on weekdays from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. on the Murph and Max show, only on KMBR at 680 a.m. He is the one and only Brian Murphy. Murph, how's it going? It's going good, boys. Uh, talking 49er football got real fun all of a sudden, didn't it? I mean, I know you guys uh, are doing it through thick and thin, and, and, and so are we at KMBR. But, man, oh, man, did everything change in the last five weeks and and now you're looking at these playoffs wishing that the Niners were in it because they look like they could uh, throw some punches with some of these guys because, uh, heck, uh, the team New England beat last week was a Niner victim, and now obviously the Jags in the Final Four AFC Championship makes you think about that 49er win over them too. So, so much excitement. The only bummer is we've got to wait till September, but obviously free agency's coming up, and, then, and you know for those who love the draft, we'll get that too. But it's, uh, it's a whole new... A whole new attitude going down now. Absolutely. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a long off season for different reasons than in years past, right? It's gonna be one of those off seasons where we can actually look forward to putting a winning product on the field as opposed to like seeing what the co- who the coach is gonna be, who the GM's gonna be, who the quarterback's gonna be. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. In fact, it's a good point about, you know, we focus so much on the quarterback and rightfully so, because the quarterback is everything in the NFL. But you're right about the coach and the GM deal because, listen, man, it's been it's been no fun for the 49ers or their fans to watch this post-Harbaugh landscape play out. I mean, it took it took three years to kind of rebuild the 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 scorched landscape of the Harbaugh bulky era, and you know now you look back on it, kind of wide-eyed at the whole thing and that we all survived it because it turns out that that was a toxic environment those guys uh they didn't like each other and bulky was 
clearly a negative influence after Harbaugh left. Uh, you know, whether it was Jim Tom Sula, who we can talk about. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be mentioning Tom Sula's <laughs> name, who we can talk about as, you know, whether or not it was fair to give him that job. And then we can talk about Chip Kelly, too. And it just seemed like sort of that, that was a desperation move. And, and that, you know, Chip kind of maybe always belongs back in college where he is right now. But for them to land Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, you know, <clears throat> and listen, we were as critical as anybody over on KMBR just saying, listen, how how can we trust Jed York and Parag Morate to make this decision? Mm-hmm. They've blown it, you know, and whether it was Balky or Tom Sula or Chip, they just they weren't getting it done. And for them first to go to John Lynch, you think it was about a year ago, right? And I remember my friend Sam Farmer who covers the NFL for the LA Times saying that when he saw that on his phone, and Sammy's as plugged in as anybody, he said, and he knows John Lynch, obviously, and he said, well, well, that's obviously not John Lynch, the former safety. I mean, that can't be him. I mean, that's how stunned we, he goes, is there another John Lynch I don't know about? I remember him telling us that story. And it was that out of the blue that John Lynch was going to make that leap from the broadcast booth. And, you know, listen, we we can talk about anything he might have done wrong in the last year, but he's done a lot right in the last year, both in terms of selecting players and setting a tone with the public face uh, of how they're representing themselves now to the fan base, the accessibility, the accountability, the honesty, and then obviously the Kyle Shanahan hire. And it's funny about Kyle is that I almost feel like in a way he's been overlooked in all this. Uh, You know, John Lynch Mm -hmm. got a lot of publicity, got a lot of love, and then obviously Jimmy G exploded on the scene like a supernova. Mm -hmm. And everybody's just talking Jimmy G, Jimmy G, Jimmy G. But really, Jimmy G is now looking good because of Kyle's play calling and his route trees and his designs and you know what's funny about Kyle's he didn't he didn't seem to be clamoring very hard for for the microphone or for the spotlight he seemed content to sort of let John Lynch get his due to let Jimmy G get his due to let all the players get their due and you know he was a, from our perspective a delight to deal with and the way he handled mm-hmm. the 0-9 start was was I mean considering what we went through with Harbaugh and, and how he viewed everything as war and I was a Harbaugh fan too, as a coach, you know. But he viewed everything so in such hostile manners, and it burned everybody out. I mean, ultimately, it, it uh, you know it caused a lot of burnt edges on, around the building. For Kyle Shanahan to to behave like he did when they were zero and nine, and then for him to behave the way he did when they ripped off five straight, was just said a lot about him. So it's really it's amazing. You got to give Jed, Jed York's been knocked hard by a lot of people, including me, and you got to give him credit right now what appears to be a couple of big-time hires in John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan. So really pleased with those two guys running the show into this offseason. And we definitely want to get more into the Garoppolo and, and, and the moves that John Lynch made. But before we do, in your time covering the 49ers, can you remember a t- the tide shift as much as it did this year where you had the fan base basically going from despondent to rejuvenated? And it was really a tale of two seasons, wasn't it? Really incredible. And so I go back, you know, I covered the team as a writer in the 90s. So I was around the team then, but that was different. That was at the, that was the, the Steve Young era. I was there when Steve took the baton from Steve, from Joe and, and carried the, you know, the playoff mantra for what the Patriots are now doing. The 49ers did with Joe and Steve from 81 to 98. Of course, yep. the Patriots have done it with one quarterback. The Niners did it with two. But it's all about having that great quarterback. So I was there when I was around the team then. That that was just that incredible standard. It was sort of like what the Patriots are now. The standard had been set for 12, 13, 14 years, and now it was about maintaining that standard, that intense pressure of maintaining that standard. 
I'm going to date myself, guys, and talk about a year that you guys you guys probably weren't even born for. But the only analogy is 1980. In 1980, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Here we go. But in 1979, the 49ers were finishing up a bad decade. They had been bad for a long time. They had hired Bill Walsh. They were two and 14. And in 1980, they gave Joe Montana the keys to the to the to the team. A guy named Dwight Clark started to emerge. Guy um, uh, uh, Dwight Hicks in the backfield, and they and they won they won six games that year, and they finished mm-hmm. strong, and they had a big win over the New Orleans Saints, where they were down thirty five to seven, and they came all the way back and won thirty eight thirty five at Candlestick. And mm-hmm. it, guys, it's going to sound crazy, but that was a huge thing. It was like, what's going on with the Niners? They're getting good, and people started to be like, whoa! And this, who's this guy, Joe Montana, and who's Bill Walsh, and. I didn't know if he could do it from Stanford, and then they had the epic draft where he drafted Ronnie Lott in 1981, and then he traded for Fred Dean, and then obviously the rest is history. They go 13-3, and they win the NFC West, they have to take on the Mighty Cowboys, the catch happens, and here we are, right, all these years later. But that would be the analogy, guys. The 79-80-81 corridor looks like, and it's funny, because Kyle Shanahan knows his history. I brought this up to him on the radio. Because I said, you know, I said, you do guys, you guys know when Joe took over, he did go six and ten, mm-hmm. and, and and Kyle said to us, he goes, yeah, and wasn't the year before two and fourteen too? And I said, yeah, and I was like, hey, dude, no pressure next year, but you know, can we get another catch? You know, and maybe a Pierre Garcon in the north end zone there in the right corner there. I don't know, but so that's the only analogy, guys. That the only other time I can remember that there was sort of a. Uh, a brush fire of excitement was at the end of the 1980 season going into 1981. But even at that, the Garoppolo thing is even different because, because he's reviving now something that was dead for so many years. And, and back in 81, Joe was sort of, Joe was sort of putting the Niners on the map. They'd been around since 1946, but they had never won a championship. Now Garoppolo is stirring the echoes of, of what could be another championship era. So, so it really is kind of a, um, a singular time in, in history with echoes of 1980. Now, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo, is, he is the biggest story of this, of this season. And I was listening to your show this morning, and you and Polly Mack were talking to Ted Robinson about what Jimmy Garoppolo has been able to accomplish and, and how he's won over the locker room and basically everybody in the building. What are your takeaways from what Jimmy has done? Yeah, that's, I mean, well, first and foremost, I can't get over his technical proficiency. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's just, and it's funny because anytime somebody would say to me, somebody from the outside, like, you guys are losing your minds about this guy. You guys are, I've lost perspective. You've lost the plot. You're, you're overstating what's going on. And I keep saying, listen, man, I, I've lived, as the great Gary Radich would say, I've lived a little now. You can, you can tell when a guy can play. And you can tell when a guy can't play. And we've been watching quarterbacks in and out. And even Colin Kaepernick at his best, and I was, you know, I enjoyed Kaepernick's explosive abilities. When people told you that he was not a good pocket passer, you had to admit that he wasn't a good pocket passer. You had to, mm-hmm. when you were a Kaepernick defender like I was, because I, I just liked, I liked what he brought to the table. I liked his big playability. And, you know, hell, he almost won him a damn Super Bowl. But uh, you, you had to admit, you would sort of make excuses. You'd be like, yeah, but he's got a strong arm, but yeah, but, you know, he's getting better. Or, yeah, but he'll work at it. Um, and, you know, when it came to Alex Smith, you know, the question was, you know, can he throw the deep ball? Is he captain check down? Um, does he have what it takes to kind of lead a team to the mountaintop? I, you know, you'd be like, yeah, you know, he can get there. He can get there. But you're always kind of hedging your bets. 
Jimmy G, man. I'm telling you guys, I can't. Listen, I'm not Bill Walsh. I'm not Sid Luckman. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, a quarterback expert. But you know when you, when you see a guy's footwork and when you see a guy, the way a guy spins the ball, and when you see a guy's decision-making, you can see who can play and who can't. It's, it's, and like in football so much, you can't trust your eyes. Other sports, like base, I covered a lot of baseball, and baseball writers say, but it's a better sport to write about because you can trust your eyes. You know, you just see the pitcher and you see the hitter and you can see what happens. Whereas in football, everybody always says, oh, I got to watch the film. I got to watch the film. I got to see how, if the guard blew his assignment. I got to see if the tackle blew his assignment. I got to see if the cornerback fell down, all these things. But in, in Jimmy Garoppolo's case, you could trust your eyes. You saw his footwork. You saw his release. You saw the way he spun it. You saw his decision-making. You saw the way he hit guys in stride. You were like, Holy, holy moly, this guy is already one of the best technically proficient quarterbacks in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, you were tempted to start putting him on, you look at Brady, Breeze, and Rodgers as like the holy trinity, and you're like, this guy's not that far behind, you know? So, so that was my biggest takeaway was, I mean, I know Ted talked about the, the, the leadership, and obviously the guy's got charisma, you know, what are you going to say, the million-dollar smile, right? I mean, right. the guy, he walks into a room, people like him, he smiles, and he's just like, he's got that smile, and, and, and it sure helps. Now, if he had that smile and those good looks, and he was throwing, you know, four picks and no touchdowns and walking out with a passer rating of 40, Nobody would be talking about how good-looking Jimmy Garoppolo is. But when he goes out there and he hits Trent Taylor on third and nine every time, you're mm-hmm. like, man, he's good-looking. God, look at that smile. <laughs> you know? So this guy, I, just, I can't get over. I mean, I'd say the only knock on him it, technically is that, you know, we haven't, like, kind of like I said with Alec, you haven't seen the deep ball. I mean, you know, you've, people have written about that. They've, they've talked about it, it kind of haunted him at Eastern Illinois too, that maybe he's not a great deep ball thrower, but I mean, it's like, man, you know, I mean, it, Tom Brady's not mobile either. Right. I mean, there's not, right. it's hard to find the white swan, perfect quarterback. So, so guys, my biggest takeaway was his in, incredible technical proficiency. And he seems to be intense about working at it. It seems to be that he has a desire to be technically great. And whether that's the Tom Brady influence, or just how he is in his DNA, it certainly bodes well for 49ers fans. And other than Garoppolo, the big news right now has to be, has to be the Reuben Foster arrest. And what do you make of the situation? And, and should this be a major red flag for the 49ers? Yeah, I mean, I mean I'd love to spin positive here, and, and, and it might work out great, but it's certainly concerning. Um, I know if you guys probably read John Middlecoff's piece in The Athletic, and I was reading it, and I was nodding my head as I was reading it, going, yeah, he's right. I mean, you want to believe in Reuben Foster, I mean, because it seems like, he seems like the steel of steels, and, and hell, you know, he just made the Pro Football Writers All-Rookie Team, and he deserved it. You know, a couple of, of course, that's when he doesn't die on every play, right? I mean, he'll go make a tackle, and you've got to bury him right there on the 40-yard line in his cleats <laughs> yeah. and give him his last rights. He's got, <laughs> he's got that drama queen in him, you know, where he, he loves to kind of ham it up a little bit. But um, for, for him to come into the league with what they said were character concerns, and, you know, I mean, listen, we, none of us was in Tuscaloosa. None of us has lived his life. None of us knows his relationship with his father, which apparently, you know, the guy, you know, maybe found some trouble along the way or whatever. But, so, you know, you, you wanted to look the other way because he, like Jimmy G, he's got that million-dollar smile, man. Anytime you do an interview, you just start smiling when you look at him because he's got that big, easy way about him. He's always kind of joking, kind of laughing, kind of looks like he loves to play football. He looks like he loves to talk football. 
And, you know, what is marijuana possession in this day and age? It's like, you know, it's like Scott Osser wrote in the Chronicle. He 1963 called, they want their laws back. I mean, yeah. it seems so outdated these days. But what it does show is a lack of judgment because he knows that when he's in Alabama and he's not in California. He knows that he, you know, a year ago he had problems at the Combine and at the and during the draft for quote-unquote, you know, failed drug tests or, or whatever. So... So it is definitely not something to take lightly. It's definitely not something to blow off. You hope a Tiger can change his stripes a little bit. I mean, Ian Rappaport came on our show and said he thinks he'll get suspended for a game next year, which already bummed me out. I'm like, man, I want to see yeah. Ruben for 16 next year. You know, I don't want him for 15. And then you, who knows with injuries and all that. So, so definitely something for Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, you know, to to think about and to talk about. And you know, hopefully, you know, if you and I are doing this a year from now. And he's finishing up another, you know, Pro Bowl type year, and it was just a blip on the radar. That could very well be the case, but it's not something to take lightly. Do you think the Niners have to have a contingency plan at this point? You know, that's, that's it, it, I would think in the NFL, knowing the NFL from what I know, and knowing how how incredibly, uh, I don't know, paranoid is the right word, or but just security minded or just depth minded, most teams are. Yes, the answer is yes. And does that mean you know everybody's a lot of people have a draft crush already on Roquan Smith out of Georgia, right? And you kind of see similarities between him and Reuben Foster, and mm-hmm. you start thinking about the idea of them playing next to each other is incredible. You think Willis Bowman 2.0, right? But mm-hmm. maybe that is something you think about. It's kind of funny about the 49ers is, you know, is that they almost <laughs> they, you can almost say they have a need at every single position except for quarterback they have a need like if you told me that they need a linebacker be like yeah they might want to look there and then of course we could talk dbs and then we could talk d-line and then we could talk o-line then we could talk receivers then we could talk running backs i mean they need they need everything but yeah you'd love to think that rubens you could pen him in for the next 10 years but of course i would think that john lynch and kyle shannon if they're good at their jobs have a contingency plan now, Murph, the 49ers tried to bring in Ken Norton, and then Ken Norton was kind of like, uh, no, I'm going to go to Seattle instead. Yeah. Do you feel like that was kind of a, like a reflection of what they think about Ruben Foster and they needed somebody to mentor him, a la having Singletary come in to mentor Patrick Willis? Yeah, to kind of- tell, tell you the truth, that was a weird one. Um, Ken Norton, I covered him as a player, um, and, you know, obviously – he could play, and he was, you know, the only guy ever on three straight Super Bowl teams. Got a nice little factoid there: Dallas, Dallas, and then the 94 49ers. He was the only guy to ever pull that off. Um, he he's an interesting character. Um, you know, obviously it didn't end well in Oakland, um, and there was a lot of blame going around there. Uh, he he was a <laughs> kind of personal beef for me. He's a UCLA Bruin where I went, and I loved my Bruins. And then he went right. and uh, kind of swore allegiance to Pete Carroll and the USC Trojans, like right <laughs> out of college. And I know a gig is a gig, and you know we all got to grow out of our silly little school color allegiances at a certain point in time. But at certain people at UCLA were kind of like, "Damn, Kenny, you went you went to the Trojans <laughs> in a hurry, and you were you were you're throwing those fight on signs a little too easy for our liking, you know." So. So I've always kind of been like, what makes Kenny tick? You know, I don't know what makes Kenny tick. And so he, he and Pete Carroll became tight, and he was with that those Carroll Trojans for a long time, irking a lot of Bruins. So then he goes, you know, obviously, so that's the connection, is that he and Pete Carroll have a deep connection. So, um, you know, Carroll offered him a promotion on paper to go from linebacker coach to D coordinator, so you can you can kind of excuse it away. But it definitely has a has a foul smell to it. 
if you're Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, you're definitely a little miffed. You're like, hey, man, I just took this guy in. He's got fired in Oakland. I took him in. I gave him a home. I gave him some hot soup. And uh, now he's out the door up to Seattle, my rival, my key <laughs> rival. Yeah. So, I mean, I know it's a big boy's game, and I know business is business. So, But still, yeah, there's a little rankle there. Definitely there's a little rankle there. Was he there to mentor Reuben Foster? Yeah, to a point, I'm sure. But I don't think, you know... Uh, you know, I, I don't know if Ken Norton is like the, the paragon of the guy you have to have to mentor Reuben Foster. Um, you know, I mean, Ken's bounced around. It's not like he's, you know, it's not like he's seen as some sort of like Yoda figure, but certainly he mm. could have helped the 49ers. That one kind of smells a little, smells a little bit, left, left me with a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And I wanted, I'm, I'm kind of with you. Like, I wanted to be like, hey, man. What the heck, Ken Norton? Like, what what are you doing? Why why would you spurn the Forty ers like that? And I was kind of pissed about it. But then I'm like, damn it, I respect you too much, and I can't I can't stay pissed at Ken Norton. <laughs> so, well, it's, you know, it's gets it gets into rivalries and Pete Carroll, and you know, Pete's a competitor, and he's always, he always wants to compete. You know, you know, that's what he says. Competition Tuesday. Always Pete Pete Carroll always compete. So he sees Norton goes to the Forty ers and. And he's making changes up there in Seattle. I mean, you know, they, they're blowing out their coaching staff there. I mean, got rid of Tom Cable, Daryl Bevel, et cetera. So for, you know, he, he, he reached out. And so much of this stuff is you hire who you know. And Pete knows Ken real well. So, But it is a tough deal. I'd love to get, love to get Kyle off the record sometime because he'll never, you know, he's not going to rip Ken on the record. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of he's going to take the high road. But maybe in the next few months we can, one of us can get a couple beers in Kyle and ask him about uh, how he feels about that whole deal. <laughs> And Murph, sticking with the defense, I'm curious about your thoughts on Solomon Thomas, because I think a lot of people expected him to come in the number three overall pick and make those splash plays. And he almost seems like more of a grinder. And defensive line takes time. He was playing out of position. Do you see him taking a big jump next year? What, what were your thoughts on him? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. And we, we talked to Tim Ryan about this uh, on our show specifically. And, you know, those guys like to defend the players. But his argument was, he said, hey, man, sacks in the NFL are hard. He goes, it, you have to learn, he goes, you almost have to relearn how to sack in the NFL. And his example was, when he was at SC his senior year, he, had, he said he had 20 sacks. I didn't fact check it, that's a hell of a number. He said he had 20 sacks. He says he got to the Bears his rookie year and he had zero. And so that was his defense of Solomon Thomas saying, you stick with him, don't judge him on his sack total in year one. <clears throat> that for the most part, if you watched him, if you watch his technique, if you watch his assignments, you know, he played sound football for the 49ers, and he, he played sound run defense, and, and he, he improved as the season went on, and you started to see little glimmers. Now, the counter to that is, dude, you were the number three pick in the draft. We're looking for big-time impact here. You know I mean? You, you, you kind of, whether it's fair or unfair, you get a price tag attached to you based on where you get drafted. And, you know, if he played like that as a third-rounder, You'd be like, yeah, nice year, Solomon Thomas. Very good. But unfortunately, he got drafted third in the draft, and that's going to tag him. And until he has, you know, a big time, you know, Marshawn Lattimore, defensive player of the year type of deal, you know, uh, that kind of, although I know Lattimore's a corner, but I'm just saying that kind of impact play, that is definitely going to be something that I, I think if you, you can already kind of read the storyline in summer camp next year for Solomon Thomas, which is going to be, you know, hey, Solomon, you know, you had an okay rookie year. You did some nice things, but do you feel like you have something to prove in year two? You know, that's going to be sort of the storyline. And, you know, DeForest Buckner sure helps because he can play. And Eric Armstead getting hurt makes Solomon look a little better than Armstead. I'd say of the three biggies, 
they've drafted Buckner, Armstead, and and Thomas. You'd almost put Thomas ahead of Armstead at this point because of his injury situation. Mm. So um, I liked it. I, the price tag on him, the number three pick, is something he's going to have to kind of play up to. But but it wasn't as bad as you – know, like I sit here and rip Solomon Thomas. I'm going to be very curious to see him in year two, and he might. He might. Now, don't forget, he made, he made a big leap up in the draft board late. You know, it was one of the, you see this every year. You're going to see it again in another couple months. Guys are going to make late surges on the draft board, and, and sometimes it overinflates them. And that might be the case with Thomas, that he had that great bowl game against North Carolina. He got hot and trendy, and, and then he got picked third in the draft. And so he's going to have to answer those questions next year. I'm with you guys. And staying with the draft, the 49ers got six starters out of the, the draft last year with Solomon Thomas, Foster, Akela Witherspoon, George Kittle, Trent Taylor, and Adrian Colbert. And that's not even counting guys that were undrafted like Matt Breda. Are these guys going to be in the same spots next year where they're starters, or do you feel like the Niners are going to kind of dip into free agency in the draft a little bit to promote some competition? Yeah, good question. And um, and first of all, they deserve a lot of credit. Um, I know opportunity created a lot of those guys starting just because of injuries and lack of depth, but a lot of those guys played pretty darn well. And there was a point, I remember halfway through the season, talking to Patrick Connor on our show, Peak on Big Draft Nick, and he was like kind of grimacing at the draft. He goes, ah, I don't know about this draft class. And I said, well, you know, let's let it play out. You know, you guys, sometimes we're always rushed. We rush to judgment, you know, a la Solomon Thomas. We rush to judgment so much, and you really can't draft. You, it, it, it's so hard to do this in this day and age of instant everything, but you're supposed to kind of wait two to three years before you judge a draft class. But I think you can already say it was a, success, a successful draft class. But the answer to your question is yes, they are going to bring in competition for these guys. And there will be guys who started this year. I'm thinking like Adrian Colbert. I liked him. I did. And he came on. But you know they can upgrade there. They can. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, Colbert takes the challenge and, and uses that speed and his smarts and keeps playing. But I would imagine he uh, will face a, a challenge there. Um, Witherspoon's got a chance to stick, but they, you know they're going to bring in corners. They have to. And if they bring in guys better than Witherspoon, he might have to, you know, take a seat. But right now, he, he's got a chance to play. I think Trent Taylor might be a guy who, who still has his role next year. I think George Kittle might still have his role next year. I, we, we know Thomas will. So that's three guys right there. We mentioned, uh, and then obviously Reuben Foster. So I'd say four of the six would have a real good chance to be back in their position next year. But, man, that's what's exciting about the 49ers, actually. You know, we opened the whole conversation by talking about Jimmy G and everything, but what's exciting is that they had a lot of young talent that flashed and that you know they can get so much better through the draft and through free agency. You're like, you're like man, they played this well down the stretch and they still have that many holes? Like they, you guys, they, can, they made a few shrewd pickups here and there with another nice draft class with some more growth from Solomon Thomas and Trent Taylor and, like, who knows, maybe Colbert. You're like, man, I kind of like this squad. So Mm -hmm. uh, we'll see if John Lynch, you know, his first foray into free agency was okay. I like, you know, Garcon. Unfortunately, he got hurt. Guys like that. So you're kind of excited that that there's a foundation there, and yet yet the feeling is, yeah, and they can get so much better. Mm Mm-hmm. And they'll probably be aggressive in free agency again this year. What what do you see for them in terms of moves? Do you see a big splashy move? Do you think it'll be smaller moves? How do you think that, see them attacking free agency? <clears throat> this year? It's a good question because what it means is is we have to figure out what what John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan 
what they how they evaluate this roster. It's up to them. Like you know, if they if they're listening to this podcast, and I'm sure they are. What's up, boys? And uh, <laughs> they. Uh, they're listening and they're like, no, man, we like all these rookies here. We don't need a big splash. Or maybe behind closed doors, they're like, hey, man, we got, we got away with having you know, less than premium NFL talent at some of these positions. We need to go get guys. To be honest, I have not studied the free agency class yet. It doesn't start until March, right? So I've given mm-hmm. myself a little powder right now to enjoy the playoffs and uh, you know, a couple Warriors games before I start sticking my nose into NFL free agency. So it's a question I could probably better answer in early March. But I'd rather, you know, I'm interested to see their strategy, you know, because they have that huge amount of cap room. Obviously, you're hoping that 25 million of it goes to Jimmy Garoppolo for the next six years, right? So <clears throat> we'll see what they do. They've they've left that cap room untouched for years, and it's been kind of a, that's been one of the criticisms. Like, hey, you guys stink, and you're not going and getting guys. What are you doing? And that's the the argument against the Yorks as being very cheap and. You know, rubbing two nickels together and all that, uh, throwing around nickels like manhole covers and all that. So we'll see. We'll see if the if Jed really wants to spend. We'll see if Kyle and John evaluate the roster to the point where they think they need to go make big splashes. You know, O line. You think about O line and and mm-hmm. things like that. I'm curious, and it kind of goes back to the general theme of this whole conversation, which is I'm very excited. Yeah, and you mentioned the playoffs, and I kind of want to touch on that for a second. It is conference championship weekend, and we do have uh, obviously three quarterbacks who have never been to the playoffs before and never started in the playoffs before. It seems like this league is kind of suffering from a lack of star quarterbacks. You you have the stalwarts. You've got Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger, Drew Brees, uh, uh, Eli Manning and Philip Rivers and all those guys. But beyond that, once those guys retire, who's going to take the next step up? Like, is it going to be like a Russell Wilson? Is it going to be a Jimmy Garoppolo? The, the NFL is in desperate need of that next generation of great quarterback. How do you? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's startling this quarterback situation here going into these playoffs. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I really haven't. I I don't remember ever seeing three guys who would generally be considered scrubs uh, going into the conference championship game. It's it's shocking. Mm-hmm. Now, part of it is simple. If Carson Wentz was healthy, we would be salivating over the mm-hmm. Carson Wentz Tom Brady Super Bowl that we'd be going to see. I mean that. That, how great would that be? I mean, right. Wentz looked fantastic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I was I was a great admirer of him. So the Eagles would be, I mean, the Eagles looked phenomenal when Wentz was there. So his injury was a tremendous blow to the league and to the playoff table. Jared Goff, who I like, Marin County. Shout out to uh, Marin County and Jared Goff. Yeah. Uh, they went to a rival high school, Marin Catholic. He didn't go to my uh, my proud high school, Tamalpais High in Mill Valley. But uh, he... <clears throat> He is probably a year or two away. I mean, he had a real nice year, too, but obviously Todd Gurley and their defense and stuff. But him and Sean McVay are somebody to watch. So you got Wentz, you got Goff, you got Wilson, you got Garoppolo. I mean, I know he's a little older now, but Matt Ryan looks like he still has a good run left in him. And then here we go with Darnold and Rosen coming in now, right? I mean, maybe these guys are going to join the fray. If... If those guys can perform, and there's certainly no guarantee that they will, I mean, that could easily be, you know, another case where they just get overwhelmed by bad situations and you never hear from them again. But let's say they do play well. Then you could have a scenario where in the next five years, you go Wentz, Goff, Garoppolo, Wilson, Darnold, Rosen. So, you know, it is cyclical. And we are coming to the end of a, of a great Brady Breeze Rogers group, you know. Throw Roethlisberger in there too, 
But there's a chance that these guys can come up. But really, to your point, the biggest bummer was the Wentz injury. And to think how exciting it would be to have Carson Wentz go, like, you know, beat Tom Brady in the Super Bowl it would be such a passing of the torch. And unfortunately, uh, we don't get him. We got Nick Foles and Case Keenum and Blake <laughs> Bortles. Although old Blake's still hanging around, man. Everybody's ripping him. And he's just there scratching his beard. He always answers these questions. He scratches his beard all the time. He's so annoyed. They tell you the uh, the um, facial uh, body language people would tell you that means he's super pissed. I notice every time he's answering a question about his criticisms, uh, he's always scratching his beard. I'm like, oh, he's so pissed when he has to answer these questions. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Maybe the Jags defense is funny. Um, second mention from my buddy Sam Farmer of the LA Times. He he tweeted out the other day. He said, you know, the Jaguars locker room is filled with a lot of fresh, young, interesting stories. And, you know, whether it's Jalen Ramsey grabbing the mic and saying, we're going to the Super Bowl and winning that B uh, or whatever you like, Miles Jack or whoever, um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe who knows, maybe the Jags have something up their sleeve. But then again, can you imagine a Blake Bortles, Case Keenum Super Bowl? Ugh. That would be something, boys. But uh, in the meantime, we'll have to wait for the next generation to take hold. So who you got going to the, going to the big game then? I think, I think the Eagles earned my respect, man. I think, uh, I think I slept on the Eagles a little bit. I thought the Wentz thing killed him off, but I think Nick, I think... I think the Eagles at home are better than we realize, and their defense will get it done. You know, and Keenum and Diggs, that was an amazing moment. But getting them out of that dome and, and, and you know, Case Keenum ultimately will be Case Keenum. I respect for the Vikings' defense, obviously. But I'm going to go ahead and take the Eagles at home, and then come on, man. What do you I mean, you know, what are you going <laughs> to do? I mean, it's Tom Brady's yeah. world. We're just living in it. Mm-hmm. It'll be the Eagles and the Patriots, and there's just no – there's not a soul alive that doesn't see Belichick and Brady winning another one. I know it's the most obvious take in the world, but it's also the correct take. Yeah, it's. I, I think it'll. I think it'll go down like that as well. Great stuff, Murph. But before we let you go, I, I have to ask you. And and when Al and I were off air, we were talking about this, and I was telling him how every single morning when I commute to work, I commute. I commute to the peninsula for work. Nice. I've got you guys. I got your show on every morning, so it feels like almost like I know you. I'm like on a Murph basis, like now because. <laughs> You know, like for the last three years that I've been commuting out there, like I feel, I feel like I've known you. So, I mean, you've been you've been in the industry a long time. You've been in you've been in for about thirty years, uh, and started out with with the Tam News back in your hometown, and and you covered politics. Like you've written six books, and, and some of those about the Giants. You've been a sports writer for fifteen years, having covered all the Bay Area teams. How did things kind of come together for you from going writing from the for the Tam News about politics to covering sports? Dude, great research, by the way. Phenomenal Google, <laughs> phenomenal Googling, and thanks for tuning in, too. Hugely appreciated. Well, guys, listen, you guys are, are you guys just, how many years have you been doing it now so far? Um, well, the show's almost a year now, almost okay, a year. Okay, so well, listen, here's the deal. You just got to, Woody Allen once said, and he's right, 70% of life is showing up. So all you got to do is just keep punching the clock and you got to have a passion for it too and it's funny i was lucky enough i was one of these guys i was really lucky at a very young age in high school i knew all i wanted to do was journalism that's all i wanted to do i i worship the sports illustrated guys i wanted to write for sports illustrated i didn't quite get there i wound up marrying a girl who wrote sports illustrated the closest i got but uh if i had i've never felt like i've worked a day in my life because of my passion for sports and for writing and now for broadcasting so it has to do with l- truly loving what you do, always being enthusiastic about it, and showing up, guys, 
showing up. Believe mm-hmm. it or not, some people don't show up. You got to keep showing up, mm-hmm. and you got to keep being enthusiastic, and you got to keep loving it. And if you do, then you'll find yourself at my stage, what, uh, fifty years old now, and feeling like I'm still, you know, a young buck, and, and looking forward to tomorrow already. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Well, Murph, thank you so much for coming on, and, and we got to get Polly Mack on here, man. We got to get him oh. in the soundboard and everything. And his, dude, Polly would. Polly is the Niner maniac. He loves the Niners, dude. But don't get him going on like candlestick, because I mean, you might never. You, you just have to put the phone down for like twenty minutes because because uh, Polly will go on candlestick and then and, and those memories and Joe. But he, you know, Polly was very resentful of the whole Levi Stadium move. It was a huge mm-hmm. deal for people of our generation. Huge deal, guys. Maybe more than you more than you realize. Them leaving San Francisco and Paulie was one of those guys who refused to kind of set foot in Levi's. And you know what? Jimmy G got him there. He went on Christmas Eve mm-hmm. for Jacksonville, and he couldn't believe it that because he said, "Look what Jimmy G has done to me." So I'll tell him you boys are looking for him. You'll enjoy the heck out of him, and and he's got as much passion for the Niners as I do. So that'll be fun. Absolutely, and I and I feel like once he makes a parody song of us, that's that's when we made it. When Paulie Mack makes a parody <laughs> song of you, that's when you made it. <laughs> that's it. Well, you got it. You know what? Aim high, guys. Aim high. <laughs> awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much again, Murph. We got it. We got to do this again sometime. Okay, so guys. It was real time. fun. Hey, congrats on the success with the podcast, and uh, and then we'll catch up down the road. Appreciate right, it. Thanks. Thank okay. you. And thank you so much to Brian Murphy for joining us tonight, and. He's one of my favorite guys to listen to, Al. Like I, I, like I said in the in the interview, like I listen to him every single day. Him and him and uh, Paul McCaffrey, his co-host, like every single day on the way to work, they're on my radio. So it seems like I kind of know him because for the last like three years I've been commuting, it seems uh-huh. like every day I'm hearing his voice. So it's it's kind of cool when we when we get that experience to talk to guys that we listen to every day. Yeah, definitely. It was a great, great interview with him, and it was really cool to hear some of the things that he had to say. Now, all right, we got to get into this Foster thing. Because, like you mentioned in the opening, I, I have strong opinions about it both ways. And I, I look at the NFL's policy on marijuana, and I think it's ridiculous. I think it's outdated, especially when you consider that you have a lot of players now that are get addicted to pain painkillers, you know, opiates, because they're you know they need a way to deal with pain management. And marijuana is outlawed by the league, and I think that the owners are out of touch. I believe that this policy needs to go away. I think it's it's utterly ridiculous now. Having said that, what we do know is that the NFL has a policy against marijuana. The coaches know it. The players know it. Even Ruben Foster knows it. The NFL has a policy against it. Knowing that, don't do it. Don't get caught with it. And if you're going to do it, don't be out driving around with it. And to Mm -hmm. me, Foster showed really bad judgment, really bad judgment in doing this. And and when I first heard about it, I I was was pissed. I was pissed off. You know, the Niners have all this momentum going into the offseason, and and, and you're going to you're going to be that immature and it's not like this is an isolated incident because there were things about foster at the combine the diluted sample um where he got in the argument with with a with a um it was a hospital employee um there's things that have happened with him in the past so now you start to wonder is this the tip of the iceberg thing did he not learn his lesson and he really not only does he put himself in a bad situation but he puts the team in a bad situation doesn't he there's a lot to unpack with this Ruben Foster arrest. And let me first start off by saying that my views on what happened with Ruben Foster don't necessarily correlate with my views on on marijuana and legalizing and all that stuff, because that's a whole different topic that I'm not really wanting to get into. I want to keep it more focused on the 49ers and Ruben Foster. Now, that being said, 
Al, you know that obviously it's legal here in California, and there's a lot of these guys that just that just don't stop smoking during the year, right? Because why should they? Because it's legal here, right? It's it's right. it makes sense, right? Like they're not breaking the law. You're allowed to you're allowed to carry it. You're allowed to smoke it. You're allowed to do it in public. Like it's not it it's it's totally it's like it's like drinking alcohol. Basically, it's legal, right? Now, this is the first time that the NFL has really had to deal with a situation where a player who resides in a state that marijuana is legal, got busted for marijuana outside of that state. And Ian Rappaport was on the radio a couple of days ago discussing this. And he said the same thing, that this is, this is kind of like an unprecedented sort of thing. And nobody really knows what's going to happen. By the book, it's a one-game suspension. That's mm-hmm. what they're saying. And it's obviously, there's, there's talk of a clause in Ruben Foster's contract where if he gets busted under the league substance abuse program, gets caught for marijuana, he forfeits a bunch of salary later on down the road or a bunch of bonuses later and later on down the road. And it, it really, uh, the overarching thing about all of this is that I'm just kind of dis- disappointed in Ruben and his, in his judgment. And Ruben Foster is like my favorite 49er outside of Jimmy Garoppolo. Ruben Foster is my favorite 49er. And all of our listeners know this ever since before the draft last year, I was a huge Ruben Foster fan. Now that being said, he did obviously, as you mentioned, get caught at the combine as well with the diluted sample and that was less than a year ago. So two times less than less than twelve months. It's it is kind of a red flag, but I'm interested to see what John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are going to do in response to this. Do they maybe draft a Roquan Smith not not just as a as an insurance policy, but as a guy to kind of like play next to Ruben Foster to help him elevate his own game? Do they hire a strong defensive presence as a as an assistant coach? I think they try to do that with Ken Norton. Mm-hmm. Do they? Start Ruben Foster on the bench in training camp and make his make him earn his spot back. Look, the 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 quote unquote crime itself is not a big deal. I, I I get that, and and when I when I posted my feelings about it, but I'm talking about just the the fracturing of the NFL rules in itself. I'm not talking about what he did. I don't care about what right. he did. Right. So in that sense, it it's just I, I really don't know what to think. Alec. Like, I'm I'm disappointed in him. I I get why people don't think it's a big deal. But when you're talking about an up-and-coming team, probably the hottest team in the NFL right now, even amongst the teams in the playoffs, it just it just doesn't make any sense for you to make that decision. It just you have to be smarter than that. Yeah, and like you said, it's 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 a league rule, and and that's the issue that I have with him. He he, it's such bad judgment. He's in a state where it's illegal. He's driving around with it, knowing it's against the rules in the league that he plays in, knowing that if he gets caught, he's hurting himself. He's hurting his team. And, and listen, I do hope it's just an isolated incident. And this was a wake up call for him And the Niners can nip this in the bud because, you know, when he was on the field, it's an, it was infectious. This was a better defense with him on the field. This is a better team with him on it. Mm-hmm. The fans love him. The players love him. The energy he brings, he, he's could be one of the best players in the NFL. He's got that much talent. So you have to hope that this is just, just that just an isolated incident. But you know, for me, it, it just, it left a bad taste in my mouth. And, and when I heard about it, I, I was angry. And like you said, some fans brushed it off. Oh, it's not a big deal. And others were like, well, <laughs> this is a big deal. This is, this is the, the guy that, you know, we, we originally thought we might be getting when there were all those red flags about him. So I think it goes both ways. And, and I understand both sides of the fence. I really do. And I'm not going to make any proc proclamations about this we just we have to wait and see what happens you know I, I said my piece i think the nfl's policy is ridiculous i think what foster did showed bad judgment okay hopefully they can move on and it's in the rearview mirror and he's not going to deal with it anymore 
that's all you can hope for at this point. Um, because if, if, if the, the Niners have a lot of that invested in him and if this is the tip of the iceberg, it, it, it's bad news. Yeah. And T- Ted Robinson, the voice of the 49ers, who we had on our show a couple of weeks ago, he was on the radio today talking about this very incident. And he, he told a story about Reuben Foster and his personality and what, what he's like on the field and what he's like somewhat off the field as well. And this story was in practice when the scout team offense or scout team defense was playing against the first string offense. Uh, Nick Mullins, who's the, the practice squad third string slash third, third string quarterback, was having to play safety because they needed they didn't have enough healthy bodies at safety mm-hmm. with the injuries to to Ward and Tart and all that stuff. So Nick Mullins went and he ended up catching an interception off of a tip pass. The first guy out there, Ted Robinson said, was Reuben Foster. This is a practice squad quarterback who's never going to see the field. Reuben right. Foster jumped on the guy's back, and then all, all of a sudden, like a whole dog pile of guys just gets on him, and so they're celebrating stuff. And that's that's what type of guy Reuben Foster is. Not what we saw in Alabama getting caught for, for, for marijuana. That's not Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster is the guy that we see on Sundays and the guy that can light up a room and the guy that has an infectious personality. The kid made a mistake. I mean, I understand that, that this is a, it, it is a breach of an NFL rule, but I really hope that he can, for, for his own sake, because he's, he's so much more than that. He's so much more than, than just a guy who makes mistakes off the field. He's, he's a really, really good dude to be around. And I really hope that that shines through and, and shines above all of, all of this that's going on. I'll have to wait and see what happens. Um, but yeah, there's, there has to be concern at least a little bit. And let's just hope that the rest of the offseason is relatively quiet in terms of players on the team. All I want to hear about for the rest of the offseason is who the Niners are going to sign, who they might trade for, who they're going to take in the draft. I don't want to hear any more issues. I don't want to go back to where it was players getting arrested left and right in the Trent Balky era. Don't want to do it. So let's hope that this is in the rearview mirror and this is the last that we have to talk about it. So, all right. Now we do have some questions to get to. And like I said, I'm, I'm really excited to do this. Um, we opened it up on Twitter. If anybody had questions to let us know, we were gonna, Zane and I were going to answer them um, on the show and we're going to do that. And the first question, and, and I love this one, um, comes from Perry. And his question is, what are the odds that the Bills trade up to the 49ers draft pick for both of their first rounders? Does it seem likely? Um, I'll take that one first. I don't think we know yet about the draft. And, and the reason I say that is, one, you got to let free agency hit. These guys who are going to be available, and there are going to be quarterbacks available, Alex Smith is probably going to be available. Kirk Cousins is, is most likely going to be available. So some of these quarterback needy teams may fill that void before the draft. Also, we don't know what quarterbacks are going to be hot come draft time. I mean, we know the Sam Darnolds and, th- and, and those type of guys, but you know, last year, this time last year, Patrick Mahomes wasn't even looked at as a first rounder. You know, mm-hmm. we didn't know what Deshaun Watson was. So you have to see if, if some of these guys fall in the first round, or maybe there's somebody who's trending upward when the draft comes, it's going to be there at nine or 10. Maybe the Niners are sitting in that position and, and they get an offer. They can't refuse from a team like the bills or, a te- you know, a, a team with a similar need, a quarterback. And I wouldn't say that that, trade would be off the table by any stretch of the imagination. I think it's something the Niners would consider, but I also think that there are players that are going to be there for the Niners. They're going to fill needs and they may not want to pass up on. So that's the long answer to the question. Shorter answer is, I guess for me, I'd say we have to wait and see how things play out before we could really answer that. And before I answer, what's up with all the disrespect for the 49ers losing that coin toss to the Raiders? Heil? I mean, other <laughs> every mock like, draft has them picking at ten. Yeah, yeah. We're just assuming that the 49ers are going to lose that coin toss. You know what they need to do? They need to put Jimmy Garoppolo in that room, and he needs to flip that coin. And then we know <laughs> that, that the 49ers are going to win that coin toss. Then, right? So the man can do no wrong. 
Exactly, exactly. But I, assuming they do get the number 10 pick, I think that you're right. There are a lot of players there that they can take. There, there are guys that may slide. Look, there are five quarterbacks that may go in the first round. Rosen, Darnold, uh, you've got Lamar Jackson, in no particular order, Josh Allen, and you've got, uh, you got the dude from Oklahoma. Um, so you got Mayfield. So, I mean, you have five potential landing spots for, for quarterback-needy teams, and those are usually teams up in the, the top half of the first round. So I think that there's going to be some jockeying for position, and there's always a, a trade that comes out of nowhere that nobody really knows why they did it. Like last year, the, the Mitchell Trubisky trade, which enabled the 49ers to get Reuben Foster. It just, it, I just don't see it happening this year, Al, because they're too far back. Usually teams that want to trade, want to trade up further into the top 10 or top five. I, I don't really see anybody trading up to number 10 because at that point you're kind of getting into the, after that, in, into the middle part of the first round and people feel like they can, they can either get somebody falling to them or a guy that's, that's, as high up on her draft board as, as the guy that they wanted to pick. So my, my answer is, I don't, I don't think that it's going to happen. And, and to get two first round picks for the number 10 pick is it, 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 it won't make sense on the draft chart either in terms of value, the value won't match up uh, each. And for those of uh, those of you who don't know, there's, uh, there's a way of evaluating how many points each draft pick is worth basically. And if they're worth, if a package is worth an equivalent amount of points, then it's feasible that, that the trade will happen. But I don't think that that it matches up in terms of numbers. It, it oh, for the first rounders, yeah. yeah, yeah. We use the Bills as an example, but yeah, we we're just talking about if a team would trade up. But yeah, they wouldn't get two first rounders for for the nine yeah. ten pick. No. Um. All right. Next question from Wes Rayner. What do you feel the Niners' biggest need is, and do you see it being solved more so in free agency, the draft, or both? If I had to pick the biggest need for them. I would say it's cornerback or edge rusher. And the reason I would say that is because I want to look at what they did at the end of the season. At the end of the season, offense was not an issue. And I'm not saying that, that they don't need help at guard and in, in center and receiver. They do. They need help in those positions. But the play of Jimmy Garoppolo um, made up for deficiencies there. And they're actually not. They're in decent shape at wide receiver if Garcon's healthy and Goodwin's there and Taylor. Those are three pretty good players. I mean, I would like to see them get a long-term answer and start to put put that person in the fold at, at receiver but i'd say cornerback and edge because you saw that that was an issue even when they were playing well you saw dante johnson being a, a huge issue at cornerback they really need somebody opposite witherspoon badly and listen they're really still not getting to the quarterback um they need somebody who can put pressure on off the edge and that's going to open things up for the guys on the inside like to force buckner and you know buckner i feel didn't get the credit he deserved this year because his sack totals weren't as high. And if they get somebody coming off the edge, that's going to help somebody like Buckner. That's going to help Solomon Thomas, even Eric Armstead. Um, so those to me are the two biggest needs for the Niners. Um, it would be edging cornerback. And where do I think they're going to address it again? We have to wait and see. I, I could see somebody like um, Ziggy Ansa being ticketed for San Francisco. The, the Martin Mayhew connection is there. Um, again, it'll depend on what he called, what that costs. I don't think, I don't think Lawrence from, from the Cowboys is even going to hit free agency. I don't think they'll let him hit free no. agency. So you have to see what's out there, really, at free, when free agency hits, and you, you don't want to overpay. So I think it's going to be a mixture of both, and you have to see who's available and, and, and also who's available in the draft when the Niners pick. I think it's offensive line, and you saw the offensive line was just just an absolute sieve in the in the second half of the season. C.J. Beathard, obviously, he he was just a rookie and kind of held on to the ball too long at times, and he 
seal his own fate in terms of getting hit because he he wasn't able to to read defenses as fast as Jimmy Garoppolo did. But even Jimmy Garoppolo was taking hits. Like I was there at that Jaguars game. I played relatively well that game, but the interception that he threw in that game, the the defensive end just blew right by Zane Beatles. Like Zane Beatles didn't even get a hand on it. And he hit Garoppolo as as he threw and and it ended up being a pick. So I think that if you have a hundred and twenty-five million dollar quarterback, which Jimmy Garoppolo will be, and we'll get into that a little bit later in terms of what the offseason priorities are. But if you have a franchise quarterback, you have to protect him up front. Trent Brown's coming back, and I realize that he'll play right tackle, but they need they need to do something at left guard. Brandon Fusco's not not gonna cut it. Uh, I think that Kilgore is gonna stay because that quarterback center chemistry needs to be there. And Josh Garnett's obviously coming back from the injury, but they really need to shore up that, that left side of the offensive line, that specifically the guard position, because Fusco was getting, was getting blown up routinely during this, this second half of the season when Garoppolo was playing. So if there's, if I don't think Quentin Nelson is going to fall that far, but if he's there at number nine or 10, he has to be the pick. You have to, you have to get that guy. If are, not, are you worried I about think- you? Are you worried about a fit with Quentin Nelson? I've, I've heard some people say to me, well, is he the type of guard Shanahan would fit, who would fit in Shanahan's system? Or do you think he's such a special player that the Niners have to take him? I think he's such a special player that they have to take him. Like, people were kind of worried about, people were kind of worried about Mike Upati when he came out of, of a, a lesser known school and people weren't worried. People were kind of worried about his, his ability to, to, to learn an offense and be like a good pass protector. And he was great. He was, he was a pretty good pass protector. And obviously he was a, a road grader as a run, as a run blocker. So I, I'm not really worried about Quentin Nelson in terms of that, but if he's gone, then the, the whole thing about edge rusher, I realize the 49ers need pressure. Uh, they need pressure for, on, from the defensive front, but I really think that they'll probably think very seriously about moving Solomon Thomas inside and play him next to DeForest Buckner mm-hmm. because he's really good at pressuring up the middle. And I don't, care where the pressure comes from i don't care if it's from the outside or up the middle or wherever it is i just want pressure on the quarterback without having to bring blitzes every single time so i think that part of it is going to be how they see solomon thomas fitting in i don't think he's he's a nine wide type of player that they were gonna that they were making him this year like i think he's much better up the middle so in that sense if there is somebody there that's that's a pass rusher that they feel like can fit i'm fine with that if not then then one of the receivers like Sutton or or like a technician route runner would be would be great in a Kyle Shanahan offense because if you notice how quickly the ball comes out of Jimmy Garoppolo's hands, I mean Al, like you don't really need an elite offensive line if the ball's out of his hands in less than three seconds, right? The pass rush won't have time to get there. So I'm going to go offensive line, pass rusher, and then receiver. So you're taking cornerback completely out of it. I'm taking cornerback completely out of it, and. <laughs> This is so it's it's a crazy gut feeling time and this there's no indication of this but I just I just have a feeling that the 49ers are going to make a play for a, a cornerback out there that that has a little bit to prove and the the guy that comes to mind just maybe like on a one year deal because they've got the cap room and the guy that comes to mind for me is uh, is Richard Sherman and I've been thinking this for a long time actually I've been thinking long and hard about this Really yeah, and the reason oh, he's why coming off a major injury, dude. He's coming off a major injury. He's got a lot to prove, and he he'll fit the Robert Sala scheme. It's the same scheme, and Seattle's not going to pay him all that money. They tried to trade him last season. So Richard Sherman plays the best when he's got a chip on his shoulder. 
Now all I, I can hear 49ers, the, the the Empire just groaning right now. I can hear them <laughs> through my earphones, but just just think about it for a second. He's exactly what the team needs in terms of length and ball skills and the ability to play the position, and he fills a huge need. So I would not be opposed to that if that happened. Wow. Well, that's what the kids call a hot take, Zane. That's what the kids call a hot take. <laughs> That's that's straight fire, man. That's that's a fire take right there. I don't really, I don't usually do that, but like, I just, I had to, you know. I just, it just, it just makes too much sense to me. All right, our our buddy Pat Tallini asked us, um, how would you adjust the wide receiver position? And I like this question because I want to throw the stat out here. I don't know that receiver receiver is a need in the long run, whereas they really don't have anybody to build around for the next five years at the position. I think Trent Taylor is a good role player. I don't think he's somebody to build your offense around. So they need help on the outside, I think, in the long term. But next year, if you have a healthy Garcona, Marquise Goodwin, really not in bad shape. And, and the stat I wanted to throw out was Marquise Goodwin averaged 17.2 yards per catch in 2017. And that was the sixth best in 49ers history of any receiver with at least 55 receptions. And the other five were Jerry Rice in 1988, um, averaged 20.4 yards. R.C. Owens in 1961, 18.8. Rice in 86, 18.3. Rice in 89, 18.1, and John Taylor in 1989, 18 even. So after that, Goodwin finished sixth at 17.2. And that's a really good year. And Goodwin, to me, is another, he's just, again, tip of the iceberg with him. He, he really started to come out at the end of the season, and you saw him progress. So if the Niners feel good about him, I wouldn't be surprised, one, to see him as a huge part of the offense. Maybe they don't dress receiver yet, unless they have a surefire thing that they really like. Yeah. Um, and also with him, I would not be surprised to see a contract, contract extension because he's in the last year of his deal. So if, if they feel like last year is, is a sign of things to come, you could see Goodwin getting extended, and, and that could be part of the answer for the long term at the receiver position. Goodwin really, really became a, a complete receiver. He was running the entire route tree, especially when Jimmy Garoppolo became quarterback. Before this year, Marquise Goodwin was kind of like a one-trick pony. He was just like a deep threat, just a straight nine-round Guy. He was not really like a guy who would run over the middle. It was just mostly just down the field, long passes to him. And the, the, the catch percentage on, on, on balls on his way was like 50%, I believe. Uh, and you pointed that out when, when the 49ers signed him. But a lot changed in this past year and a lot changes in a Kyle Shanahan offense. If you look at the free agent receivers that are out there, you've got Sammy Watkins, you've got Paul Richardson from the Seahawks, you've got... Uh, Allen Robinson, who's coming off a, an ACL injury, who's a, who's a really good receiver. You've got Jarvis Landry, who's in, who's in negotiations with the Dolphins that are kind of stalling. So you've got some names that are there that can really flourish in this offense. And, and I'm a really big fan of, of Jarvis Landry and Allen Robinson. I, I know Allen Robinson tore his ACL and he's coming off, it, uh, off of a major injury, but I wanted the 49ers to draft him when he first came out and they, they passed up on him. So I, I think that they'll probably add at least one free agent wide receiver because depth, the best teams in this league have depth. And even if Marquise Goodwin is like your number three option and a Kyle Shannon offense, they throw the ball so much and they, and they spread the ball around so much that it's, it's, I would definitely take Marquise Goodwin against another team's nickel corner, number three corner. I would take that every single time. He's going to win that every single time. So I think that they're either going to address it through free agency or the draft or both. But I feel like in terms of overall roster building, they'll probably try to address some of these needs through free agency. So by the time the draft comes, 
they can make luxury picks if they want to, like a Roquan Smith middle linebacker that they don't really need per se, but would be like a, a luxury pick. So I think that you'll probably see one of these names being signed and you're going to see them sign a starter because you, you don't know what, what happens in this, in the NFL, like, like Pierre Garcon was having a great year. He had 500 yards in, in less than eight games that he played. So you never know what can happen with injuries. I think that they're going to sign one of these receivers. And I, I, I tweeted out there and some people said I was crazy and some people were all, were all about it is they should just kick the tires on AJ green. Just call Cincinnati and oh, say, what, what do you want? That's your afford- yeah, That's yeah, your fire take, right? Yeah, I know it's, I know it's crazy, but you know, they can afford him. Green's unhappy. Who knows? Again, uh, kick the tires, see what happens. But yeah. that's a position. I, I just can't wait for this off season to start because that's another position. What, what are they going to do? What's the plan? They can go in so many different ways. And, you know, you, you brought up some good options there. I, I like Allen Robinson a lot if, if, if he's healthy. Maybe Sammy Watkins in the right environment can, can finally live up to his potential. So we'll see how that goes. All right, we probably have time for one more. And uh, I like this one from uh, at Denmaster3. He says, Williams, Breida, and who else is running backs next year? And he says he likes Sony Michelle, and so do I. Um, I'm going to throw a name out there at you for running back. He's a free agent. He's worked with Shanahan before. I want to know what you think. What about Isaiah Crowell from Cleveland? Oh yeah, Isaiah Crow. I remember. Yeah, he he actually had a pretty good year when he was when he was uh, under Kyle Shanahan's offense in Cleveland. So, I think that that would be a good a good addition to this squad. I I don't think that. So here here's the thing. Carlos Hyde is probably the the best sort of name on the free agent market in terms of running backs, and and he's going to get paid by somebody because teams like to overpay on the free agent market, and I think that some team will throw a lot of money at him, and it's going to be hard for him to say no. And I don't think the 49ers want to get into that bidding war. And I've maintained, I've, I've said that and I maintain it. And as far as who they can add, I don't think they're going to add somebody through the draft because then you've got three really young running backs. I feel like they, it's this a great group, point. Yeah, yep, this is a great point. A veteran presence to, to, to steady them and, and kind of teach the, the younger guys the, the, the ropes and, and show them the ropes and just be, a, be an example to them. I feel like Kyle Shanahan, there's one of those guys at every position on this team, it feels like. And the running are going to be no exception. And Crowell makes a lot of sense because he knows the system. And whoever they bring in, I'm going to say, I actually was thinking of Isaiah Crowell as well, because whoever they bring in is going to be a guy that knows the system. It's not going to be some random guy that's never played. Kyle Shanahan is very much like a system guy. Mm-hmm. And he likes guys that, that either have run a similar system or have been in his system. Which is why the the Brian Hoyer signing, which it didn't work out, which is why they they brought him in. So they're going to address it through free agency. They may take a flyer on like a late round running back. I really liked Bryce Love out of Stanford, but he's not. He's staying in. He's staying at Stanford. And as an aside, out he's getting he's he's going to become a doctor. He's 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 like studying biomedicine at Stanford. I saw that. Yeah, good for him, man. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. And he and he seems to have a good head on his shoulders. And and I would have loved to have had him on the 49ers and kept them in the Bay area, but that's going to have to wait till next year. So I, I really think that, and, and not only that, like Tim Lewis, who's the running back coach, the 49ers, they don't need a high round draft pick or a really splashy running back free agent signing to, to be able to get production out of the running back position. Tim Lewis was, was the old running backs coach for all those Denver teams that had a running back by committee and had a thousand yards every year from like different guys. So I really feel like Kyle Shanahan has confidence in his ability to develop guys like Joe Williams and Matt Breida into serviceable players, and Breida was this year. So you'll see a veteran most likely signed with to to, to play with these guys. 
And Crowell, the last two years, you know, Cleveland obviously has had their issues the past couple of years. He had 198 carries for 952 yards, 4.8 per carry in 2016. This year it was 206 for 853, a 4.1 yards per carry, and he's caught 68 balls combined the past two years. So he's a pretty good player. And if they can get him cheap, you know, like you said, he's, he's been in Shanahan's system. He may be a guy that you could see the Niners go after. Another, another position that's going to be interesting to see how how they attack it. And, and you brought up such a good point about the veteran. I agree with that. If they're going to have two really young guys on the team in, in Williams and Breida, and, and it looks that way, you're right. Somehow, some way, a veteran's coming in. I don't think they're going to go with another rookie. I, I, I never thought of that. I think that's that's such a good point. So, yeah. All right. We one have, more thing we on Crowell. Sorry, one wait, more thing on Crowell. Yeah, he's he was platooning with Duke Johnson. Uh, or not do Don he was platooning with uh with his uh his another running back in, in Cleveland. So he wasn't even getting line sh- lion's share of the carries. They so, him a lot this year, yeah. Yep. They did. So he was still able to put up pretty good numbers on in in a sharing carries sort of role. So he kind of I feel like that proves that he can kind of be in that system and still excel. So I think that that's that that was a guy that I was thinking of when when that question came up. And I really hope that they can make it happen. They've got the money to do it. So I think that they, they can make it happen. We got a lot of other great questions, and I apologize. Um, we can't get to all of them because we actually have a, have a time constraint tonight. But we'll try, maybe even next show, we'll try to get to some of these, and, and we'll open up um, definitely lines of communication more. If you guys just have anything you want us to talk about on the podcast, shoot Zane or I a note and just say, hey, guys, you know, what about this? Or can you talk about this? We're, we're always up for ideas and always glad to answer any questions, whether it's on the show or on Twitter or anything like that. And you can find us on Twitter. I'm at LSACO49, and Zane is at Zane49ers. Again, hit us up there, and you could email the show at nohuddle at 49erswebzone.com. So for Zane, this is Al. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.